Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? This is episode number 62 of the Lax Factor podcast, and today we're going to continue talking uh, and picking 2020's conference winners like a boss. Today I am going to do the Patriot League, the Metro, and the ACC, and then in segment two we're going to talk about... uh, I'm going to start doing every week. I'm going to start talking about midfield units that I like for a little while. So this week, obviously, whenever I do something new, I always talk about Syracuse first. But in this case, it's fitting because Syracuse has three of the top midfielders in the country all on a single line. So I thought it was worthy to talk about that. And then in the third segment, I'm going to answer a question from the College Across um, group that I'm a member of on Facebook. And uh, we had a really good question posed there that I'm going to answer as well. So before I get into it, though, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell uh, to make sure that you see more of our videos. And the best thing you can do for us, just share the video, share the video on Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, wherever, just share it for us. And if you want to support us beyond that, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself some swag, t-shirts, hats, shorts, coffee mugs, all sorts of crap. And um, you can also watch all our videos, listen to the audio podcast. And in the link below, I will have a link to the audio version of this podcast. This is going to come out in segments on YouTube. YouTube from now on. So this entire podcast will roll out over the course of the week. So what you're watching right now is the first segment. If you want to see, uh, listen to and not wait for segments two and segments three, you can link in below to, to the audio version of the podcast where the full podcast will be put out. Uh, uh, but, but this whole thing will eventually get put out in YouTube in three parts during the course of the week. So let's get into it. Picking 2020 conference winners like a boss. And the very first conference that I want to talk about is the Patriot League, because I feel strongly about this one. I feel like I'm right. Uh, and I like my picks overall. And I think my picks won't necessarily be popular. They won't necessarily be what other people pick, but it's, it's what I think. So we'll get into it right off the bat. Number three is Army. And Army, they lost their an All-American goalkeeper, an All-American defender. They return almost everybody offensively, so they're going to have a good squad. And Army, as I say, a lot of times the military academies, they're better at replacing defense than most teams are, and they're almost always fairly sound and strong defensively. I don't think they have enough coming back, though, to, to allow them to win, but certainly the Patriot is anyone's league at this point. So these these predictions, take these with a grain of salt. Even though I think that I'm going to end up being right, still a lot could happen and change that. So Army, I have at number three. Holy Cross, I, I couldn't believe that I picked Holy Cross here, uh, but Holy Cross, they bring back a lot of guys. They, they bring back guys offensively. They bring back guys defensively, solid goalkeeping. Um, so Holy Cross, I pick as my number two out of the Patriot, oddly enough, uh, simply because in these types of leagues, veterans and, and more specifically returning seniors play a huge role in how well you do. And I feel like Holy Cross has a very good chance of making a little bit noise in the Patriot. And this is this is the one I was excited about. And everyone right now is wondering, well, what is this number one pick going to be? And I'm going to go against the grain here, and I think Loyola is going to win the Patriot League. And I feel like I feel like they still have enough talent returning, even with losing Spencer, Scanlon, and Duffy, because Duffy was a legit midfielder, a huge senior leader. Scanlon was an incredibly good off-ball 
uh, a play midfielder. He was probably going to play attack this year for Loyola, but he was incredible off ball and he was a great two dodger. He Scanlon wasn't the kind of guy that was going to go to the rack and beat his guy while everybody was looking, even though he's capable of doing that. It's just not the kind of player he is. He was really going to be the guy that, you know, someone dodges down the alley, they bang it back to X, they bang it, bang it back up to the wing where Scanlon's waiting on the opposite side. Now he can dodge with no help coming. That was the kind of, he was a kind of a two dodge uh, option. So even with losing those guys, you know, more specifically Spencer, I think that they are going to have a really good shot at at winning the the Patriot. Partly just because I think everybody else lost enough that you know, it, it, you know, look at what Army lost. They lost an All American defender and goalkeeper. So it's like, yeah, Loyola lost Scanlon and the Player of the Year Pat Spencer. But a lot of these teams lost pieces that were as important to their teams as Spencer was to Loyola, at least to a degree. So who's coming back that gives me confidence in Loyola to the point that I think that they could win the Patriot? I'd say Cam Wires on D, 17 cause turnovers, 34 ground balls, and a goal. LSM, Ryan McNulty, an excellent long pole, uh, 25 cause turnovers, 65 GBs, two goals, two assists. So that's important, and you have you have some leadership there with a the senior between the boxes in the middle third of the field and the defensive side of the field. And then Kevin Lindley. Don't sleep on Kevin Lindley. 60 goals, 64 points. Now, he is an off-ball attackman to be certain, but... Aiden Olmstead, both of these guys are just going, I think both of them are just going to be juniors. That's, a, that's at least what my note says. But Aiden Olmstead, man, Aiden Olmstead is a legit attacker, 50-50 kind of guy. Here he's playing last year um, behind Spencer. He's got Lindley, who's the off-ball guy, and Spencer carried the ball a lot. And then they had some, uh, Loyola had a lot of midfield. They, a lot of their offense was generated through the midfield as well. So Olmstead at 25 goals, 21 helpers, 46 points. He's the kind of guy, and, and I've heard good things so far this fall about Olmstead, that he could put up 80-plus points. I mean, he could jump from 46 points to 80 points for Loyola this year, and I think that's all Loyola needs. Loyola just needs an alpha to take the reins and, and put up the bulk of their points. You have Olmstead and Lindsay on, uh, Lindy, Lindley sorry, on your attack. That is a hell of an attack unit, so don't sleep on Loyola, and I think that between those guys, a, a, a solid returning core of defenders. I mean, they have at, at all aspects of the field, they return guys with experience and in the Patriot in a league, like the Patriot league, where you're rarely going to be dealing with a top five team. You know, it's usually you're going to be dealing with top five and down. I mean, anybody it's anybody's, anybody's league for certain, but Lindley, Olmstead, McNulty, Wires, these guys are veterans. They know how to win. They've learned from the best. Look for Loyola, not to 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 have a, a, a follow-up year like Yale did after losing a Tewarton winner, but look for Loyola to be solid and to potentially win their league still. I like Loyola out of the Patriot. Now, this one, a little less exciting. Uh, and actually, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna do we're gonna do the, the next biggest one here. I'm gonna do the ACC now because I kept your attention, hopefully, through the Patriot League. And now we have the ACC winner. Uh, so I'm going to predict the Atlantic Coast Conference. And my number three, Duke. My number three is Duke. I, I put them going three and two in uh, ACC play because the ACC is going to be brutal and they're going to all beat each other up. I put Duke at three and two. I think the two invaluable polls they lost is going to hurt them. And yes, JT, he will be the best player on the field in almost every ACC contest, but they don't have the best offensive player on the field in any of those games. I don't think there will be a single game 
um, that Duke will play all year where they're going to have the best offensive player uh, on the field. But they're still good enough all around that I think, you know, just the way they develop, the way their team is put together, you, you can't hate, uh, you, you just can't count Donowski and, and Duke out because of what they've done. And I think they'll continue to do that. And they have a lot of newcomers that might step up also. So Duke, third, I think they're going to be good all around, but I, I still think they're going to take third in the ACC. Now, my next pick, I was torn on this one because I've kind of been turning a little bit, even though I've been making predictions and I've, I think everybody knows who I'm going to call my number one here. I almost wanted to predict and kind of go with a hot take and predict that Syracuse was going to win the ACC. And I think that there's a chance that Syracuse could. I think that they're the best, the best suited to do that and to hang with Virginia uh, in this upcoming season. But alas, partly out of fear of being called a homer and partly because you got to kind of give the incumbent the nod. I'm going with Syracuse as my number two team out of the ACC. I honestly think uh, they will, um, like Duke, lose two games. So I think Syracuse will still go three and two with the tiebreaker over Duke because Syracuse legitimately has owned Duke the last three years, four years. Three in a row, I believe they've won right now because I believe they've won all three with Tromboli because I know Tromboli scored the game winners against Duke his freshman year and his sophomore year. Last year, I forget who scored the game winner. I think it was Curry who scored the game winner against Duke. So Syracuse's own Duke. So I, I give them the number two nod in the ACC. Best and most, I, let's not say the best, but easily one of the deepest midfields in the country that Syracuse has, if not the top midfield group in the country. Trimboli, Curry, and Dordovic, they're, they're all accomplished, all accomplished Dodgers, all great shooters, and, that, and that's, that's key. They, can't, they, they won't just spot up and shoot out top, which they can all do, very capable. And, and, Curry, and uh, Curry and Trimboli, they both have lasers from out top, and I put Dordovic more at just a, a good shooter all around. But more importantly, they can all dodge. They can shoot and they can dodge. Very formidable dodgers, specifically alley dodgers. Curry a little bit better, and Dordovic a little bit better at maybe sweeping out top and down um, and so on. But here, here I'm getting into this, uh, this whole Syracuse midfield thing, and I didn't mean to until later. So moral of the story, Syracuse, I think that they're my number two. They have a really good shot. You have Scanlon on attack, Rafis and Cook, number two in the ACC. Um, Virginia is my number one, and why? Pretty simply, I put them at four and one. I figure they're going to lose one ACC contest. And you know what? I'm going to make this kind of my hot take. I bet you Virginia beats Syracuse. Virginia beats Duke. Virginia beats Notre Dame. Uh, I think that it's going to be UNC. I think UNC is going to be the one to give Virginia their loss. Uh, I put Virginia at four and one. One of the top three attack groups in the country. Yale and Penn State. They're the other two, I think, but Moore, Kraus, and Laviano are all proven primetime gamers. They return a load of defensive talent and, and Doc Aiken. So that's they just got too good of a team. Yes, Conrad's gone, but their top four scoring leaders all back with some promising youngsters coming in. So I think Virginia's got enough talent to win this all, and that, that attack group is just brutal. You've got Matt Moore. Uh, 46 goals, 30, uh, 43 helpers, 89 points. Michael Krause, 39 and 36. So right there, you've got two 50-50 guys that both put up 75-plus points, more with 89. Then you got Laviano, your off-ball goal-scoring attackman. He's not as much an off-ball attackman, I would say, as more a, a transition attackman, a good system offensive attackman, good in motion sets, good at dodging under, not dodging under, I should say, but good at uh, getting underneath guys and, and getting open and getting shots on the crease. So Laviano, 63 points, 51 goals. That's crazy. At the midfield, that's where they're going to be hurting. Docs Aitken, though, is good enough to anchor that midfield and get them their points. Um, I put, I'm going to move this 
uh, so my it's not bumping my mic. Uh, Docs Aitken, 44 goals, 8 assists, 52 points. And then Jared Connors returning on D, uh, 27 uh, cause turnovers, 57 GBs. And a, a huge important part of the Virginia title, and I think Virginia com- uh, trying for their repeat, is Petey fucking LaSala, uh, sophomore, face-off man, and midfielder. This guy's not just a face-off guy. 8 goals, 1 assist, 58.7% from the face-off X to from the faceoff X and his his play through the playoffs through the end of the year was what really helped Virginia keep humming. And you have Alex Road. Alex Road has been has been benched. He's been shit on. People have talked trash. People dislike him. He gets booed. But Alex Road continues to hop in the cage and and play tough. And you know, with a little now he's got a title under his belt. So he deals with getting benched one, you know, getting benched and he wins a title. And uh, I think that if he can keep that gig and get himself to the magical number of 52%, Virginia, they're going to win the ACC. It's going to be really, 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 really tough to unseat them. All right. So I got that one done. The Metro is the next one I want to talk about. I've got my number three team as Detroit Mercy. I'm going to put them at four and three in the Metro. I've got, uh, Quinnipiac and I always forget how to pronounce that Quinnipiac. It's not Quinnip Quinnipiac. I always think that, I mean, it's Quinnipiac is what it looks like. I think it's just Quinnipiac. I'm going to call it that anyway. Screw you guys. Uh, five and two. I think that they have a good squad coming back. They're going to be all right. And then Marist. I, I believe Marist is going to win the Metro at six and one. Why? Because they return a bunch of offensive talent, a decent goaltender, and the rest of these teams all lost, Similarly important pieces, you know, compared to what they lost coming back offensively, they're going to be tough. Jake Weinman, 33 and four, uh, 33 goals and 41 points. Um, Jojo Pereca or Peressa, 27 goals, 35 points. Joe Tierney, 19 goals, 31 points. Jamison Embury, uh, sophomore, 18 goals, 31 points. So they bring a lot of offensive talent back. Lions, James Lyons, 13 and 14, 50-50 guy. And then a goalie in Jake McGregor at 52. Magical 52%. So you bring back a bunch of guys on the offensive side. You lose a little bit on defense, but so did everybody else. Nobody brought enough back, in my opinion, uh, that I think I think Marist is, they have a really good shot. I feel legit. Uh, and, and yeah, what, one of the things I was in my notes was that they lost, um, two starters, I think at least maybe even more, they may have lost all three starting poles or they may have lost two short stick, uh, two long pole, uh, close D and then a long pole med. I can't remember, but they lost a lot on defense, but the young talent, you know, ready to fill that void. But more importantly, they bring back a lot on offense and a returning goalie. So that is why I like Marist on that front. Now, we move on to the second segment, and I've, I've already kind of murdered this here. But if we wanted to talk about midfield groups, I wanted to get into talking about midfielders. All right, here we go. Important midfield groups in 2020. And as always, I'm a homer, and this team just happens to have one of the best midfield groups in the country, Syracuse. Um, they return my three of my favorite midfielders right now in lacrosse. They're, none of them are, are, are Docs Aitken or uh, Costabile caliber midfielders, but all of them are right below that. Very good pieces, very good complementary players. All of them are complete players in the sense that they are, they're great in transition. They're great in six on six sets. They can dodge, they can shoot, they can do everything. All right. So Syracuse, these midfielders are the, the old geezer of the bunch here is uh, Jamie Trimboli. He is going to be a senior here in 2020. 
he was 24 and nine, 33 points, 24 and nine. His line mate last year, Brennan Curry, uh, so he'll be a junior. And uh, so Trimboli will be a senior. Uh, Curry will be a junior. Curry goes 19 and 14. So he's a little bit more 50 50. But Trimboli, he, Trimboli's just got a, I think maybe just a little bit better eye for off ball play. At least uh, he ends up on that side, that you know, that that offside wing, whereas an attackman's coming up the right side when they're reversing things. Tromboli often is just camping in that spot there. He loves that shot from about ten to twelve yards off that wing. So Tromboli and Curry both play really well together. They complement each other well, and they make it very tough for opposing defenses because who do you pull out of those two guys? And oftentimes we would end up seeing maybe both of them get pulled uh, as they put a shorty on on Syracuse's off ball attackman. But now, with the addition of our our boy here, uh, Tucker Dordovic, coming back, that's especially in the fall already. It's I don't know what defenders are going to do if if that line holds up and that's the line they put on the field, and you have those three midfielders on the field along with Scanlon and and Rafis, who are both very capable attackmen. Cook getting ready to prove himself, but those midfielders are they're going to make it really tough because I don't think you can afford to. Uh, short stick any of the three Syracuse attackmen anymore. I think that these three Syracuse attackmen will all demand a poll. And I think as a result of that, only one of the polls is going, and who knows, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe one of these, maybe they end up the, the crazy thing. And I talked to um, uh, uh, Kark about this, P. Kark, in my interview with him, was the crazy thing is that it, it, there is a world in which an all-American midfielder that is now playing attack in Chase Scanlon could get the short stick because he it's poten- he's potentially the least capable Dodger, out uh, at least one Dodger, out of all f- of the five other guys that Syracuse is going to put on offense in that first team. Certainly, all three of those midfielders, I think, overall are, are better Dodgers probably um, than Scanlon. And, and more specifically, they're probably going to be slightly better Dodgers than Syracuse's um, offensive set. Now, Syracuse with a new offensive coordinator, that may change that dynamic a little bit. Syracuse's offense in the past, in, in it, they they did a lot of dodging into traffic. I don't know if that was part of the, the scheme or if that's just how it panned out, but over the last handful of years, Syracuse has done a lot of dodging into traffic, trying to draw adjacents and, and odd slides and, and then hitting adjacent guys or hitting guys in the backside for goals. So I feel like those, it's just crazy. That, that midfield unit, they are tough it is going to be tough to decide who gets the pole. Are they going to end up giving it to one of the attackmen or the short? Who, are they going to end up giving a short to one of those attackmen and, and throwing another pole up there? But you put you put Dordovic, you put Trimboli, and you put Curry on a line together. It's going to be deadly. And then that's not – I mean, you go deeper than that. They've got Quinn, Kim. Uh, you got Mangan. Uh, those are guys that will probably see a little bit of time on the second line. More importantly, though, second line, legit, Libka and Buttermore. So you have your top three, but then behind them, you've got Lipka and Buttermore. And then whoever ends up getting that, that third slot on that line, it's going to end up being be, you know between guys like Mang and Quinn, uh, Kim, whoever. I, I forget who, who did it. I talked about it in the, um, uh, the podcast that we did about the Denver scrimmage, the, the, who, who was, ended up being on that second line because they had some guys injured. But you figure Lipka, 24 points, and Buttermore, 23 points. Buttermore being the goal scorer, 20 and 3, and Lipka being the more 50-50 guy at 14 and 10. Lipka is a very good midfielder. So all in all, you, you, you put these guys, these five midfielders, uh, as long as they all stay healthy and they're all good to go, that's one of the most formidable midfield groups in the country. And I'll rip off just their point totals from uh, last season. Trimboli, 33. Curry, 33. Libka, 
24, Buttermore, 23. And, I, and Griffin Cook, he got some midfield time. He ended up with eight points, but he will be playing attack, it looks like now. So brutal. Like te- it, teams are going to have a last year. The, the midfield was the strength of that Syracuse team. Rafis was a little bit hobbled early on. So the middies ended up having to do a little bit more of that work and they did it. They did a great job. So I think that all of those guys coming back and now you've got Dordovic thrown into the mix. I think Dordovic ended up putting up somewhere in the area of 25 points. I could actually tell you Dordovic in 2018, his freshman year, he put up he went 19 and 5, 24 points for Dordovic his uh, freshman year of 2018. He sat out all of last year injured. So, Syracuse, their midfield, I think they're one of my favorite midfields in the country. Honestly, I haven't looked deep enough into any other midfields so far. And most of the other top teams that I've talked about so far have all lost a lot of midfield pieces. So, I, I, I'm fairly sure by the end of it, it's partly because I'm a homer, but partly because I think it's going to be true. I I, I feel kind of comfortable saying that that may be the best group of five midfielders in the country. It's just really hard to say that until we see what goes down. Because, you know, you, for instance, you got Doc Aitken coming back at Virginia, and they've got a bunch of guys below him. So anyway, uh, and, and then the other top teams I've talked about, Yale, they lost a lot at the midfield. Virginia lost a lot at the midfield. Just losing Ryan Conrad alone is, is brutal. So the fact that Syracuse lost nobody, they bring back everybody and gain Dordovic, that's going to be big for them. And now we do the third segment. It is uh, Ask Ted, and uh, it's mostly usually going to be related to college across. So our question this week, which is loading in Facebook here, I got to actually find it now, sadly. Okay. College lacrosse discussion. Bleh. College lacrosse discussion page. The question that was posed to me uh, to answer here this week by Jesse Bruning. I think I pronounced that right. Maybe Brunning. Uh, I'm going to read it totally out, and then I'll answer it after that. He says, "Probably not the kind of quick question you were planning on answering, but and here we go." With the popularity of the sport still expanding, NCAA Division I teams increasing, large football schools suddenly getting competitive. I think he's talking about Michigan, Ohio State, teams like that. Uh, Conference realignments. Should fans of powerhouse programs from the past like Syracuse and Hopkins just, just be happy that they're staying relevant and not expect the dynasty status they've enjoyed in the past? And... And can all of the fans stop pretending that their coaches are in the hot seat because they're not, you know, perennial Memorial Day, uh, um, you know, they're not showing up on Memorial Day and playing in the semis every year. Uh, my answer that, to that is yes and no. And actually, yes and no. I don't even know if it was a yes and no question. But my answer is going to be that I think it's okay for Syracuse fans and for Hopkins fans to be uh, lemon collie, as my daughter would call it, uh, at the fact that we don't make it to Memorial Day weekend every every year, year in and year out again. Syracuse's streak was 22 straight years before it got broken, and then you know they 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 still go back to the tournament, but Memorial Day weekend has been scarce since that streak broke, and I think we've only had one Memorial Day appearance possibly since that streak broke. I could be wrong on that. Anyway. Um, I think that we're okay with being upset. I, I think that we're okay to expect more, uh, but and I and I think that that's reasonable. And I think even Carcaterra had said that, like in a season like this season coming up for Syracuse, anything less than a Memorial Day trip is should be just about considered a failure. And I think that you know the Syracuse coaching staff is going to agree with that. I think the Syracuse players would agree with that. You don't make it to Memorial Day with the squad they're about to put on the field. That's a failure. 
Now, the in the past years, I don't think it has been. I mean, in, in past years, they've been within the last six years, every year now that I do this, it's going to go back. But five, six years ago, Syracuse was putting a one and two, uh, uh, was the number one seed and the number two seed in the tournament. And Syracuse has made the tournament in, in, every year since then. So it isn't like Syracuse and Hopkins have been terrible. Hopkins plays a brutal schedule. So they're hovering around 500 uh, these last handful of years. That's been a product of just playing a brutal schedule and everything kind of evening out, evening out a little bit. Um, but here's where I think that things are going to go back. I think that what you see is kids are dumb. And I don't mean that literally. I just mean kids are subject to peer pressure. So kids want to play for whoever the current hot team is, and then kids end up getting bored. So what happens is all it takes is for a team, for instance, like Virginia – to win a national championship or to do well a handful of years, get a new head coach. More, more importantly, get a young new head coach. And listen, Lars Tiffany isn't a young head coach. He's been around the block for a long time, but he's young in the sense that this this success that he's had with Virginia is way above anything he's ever accomplished before, at least you know professionally in the college lacrosse world as a coach. So I think what happens is you have a sexy coach for a little while or sexy programs for a little while. And then I think the kids get bored and I think that you'll see a shift. Now teams like Duke, for instance, are going to be, they're always going to be pretty good because the level of education they provide is always going to win some top guys over. But what we're already seeing is that the depth and, and the quality and, and the, they've they're the five, the blues, the blue chippers that they've been getting haven't panned out quite as much as they used to in the past. You know what I mean? It used to be they get this kid, he was guaranteed going to be filthy anymore. It's a, it's, it's a hit, it's hit and miss a little bit more now. Um, so I think that what you'll end up seeing is is a team like Syracuse or Hopkins, eventually their coaches are going to move on. I think that, that Desco and and um, and uh, um, Petro, I, I just had a total brain fart. I think Desco and Petro are going to both have good years. I think Desco and Petro, uh, before they each retire, could still win national titles, and I, I think that their teams are going to continue to be good. But don't front on on the energy and the the excitement that a new coach being brought to the mix brings for either of the, either of these schools. I feel like it's one of those deals where, are between the fan base and the players, the long term uh, status that these teams have held. Um, I, and, then, and then they have all these players out all over the place. They have former players that are coaching younger guys. I feel like you bring a young coach, more specifically a young coach who's an alum of one of these schools, and, and I think that they win a national championship with four or five years. I think that what you see with Virginia, they struggled for a little while under their longtime coach. Uh, uh, Starja uh, steps down. They bring in a young guy. Excitement swirls, and he's a great recruiter, and they – win a national title. I feel like that you will see that bounce back for teams like Hopkins and Syracuse, just because I think that, that that's how it goes. You know, right now you're seeing a couple of Ivies be hot. You're seeing Yale hot. You're seeing Penn state uh, play really well because they had some good recruiting classes. But the reality is kids get bored and kids will to a degree favor some of these old school blue, blue blood programs. Again, I think, I think that if either of those teams got a new coach, I think that would be good for them. But I do not think for a second either of those coaches are on the hot seat, and I don't think that those teams would realistically be any better. I think that the main thing that the young coach brings to play is a little bit of buzz around recruiting. I think that 
uh, a kid that may not choose Syracuse next year because, you know, they've had the same coaching staff forever. Uh, he may choose, let's say, High Point or something like that and want to be a part of something new. I think that when that something new surrounds a team like Hopkins or Syracuse or Virginia, these blue blood programs, that something new more often than not is going to lead to a resurgence of those programs. And I think that Syracuse gets a new coach. You're going to see them in the top five for a couple of years. I think Hopkins gets a new coach. You'd see them in the top five. But believe me, that will level off. And please do not take that as me trying to say Petro and Desco need to be removed because they don't. That is just dumb. These guys get their teams into the tournament. These guys are storied coaches. They are still good recruiters. They are still incredible teachers of the game. So I'm not. I'm when I say that it, that a team benefits from a young coach coming in, it's just because kids are dumb. And that, that kid that may choose a different school because they want to be part of something different, they would maybe pick Syracuse or Hopkins because that would be their chance to to do something different for one of the Blue Bloods and for the new coach. And I, th- I think that that's just – it's a good marketing ploy. It's kind of more of a marketing head thing than it is uh, anything based in true reality. But alas, it is. It's it's real. So, yeah, that's the answer to my question. I think that we're all we're all good and we're all allowed to be upset Yes, I agree with you that we should probably just be happy that they're still relevant and as relevant as they are making the tournament every year. And and a team like Hopkins making the tournament every year with a close to 500 record, that's just a testament to their to their schedule. I think that's part of the other problem with, with Syracuse and Hopkins is they've kept that brutal schedule and they don't play extra games. A lot of these other teams like Duke and Virginia seem to play more games during the regular season than Hopkins and Syracuse do. But Hopkins and Syracuse have kind of taken the quality over the quantity to a degree. Um, and that, that doesn't always pan out because you look at Virginia and Duke with a, a team like High Point, which would traditionally have just been a blowout win for them, and they both lose to High Point. So that crap happens too, and that's happened to I, – I watched Syracuse one year lose to Villanova in the Dome, and that was supposed to be a gimme game uh, for Syracuse that year, but Vill- Villanova had a tough squad, a veteran squad, and they beat them. So moral of the story, yes, we have a right to be upset. Yes, we should expect a lot from them. No, we shouldn't whine and cry and call for the coach's head when they don't make it to Memorial Day weekend because that's dumb. Uh, in no sport in college, no team in college sports is going to remove a coach that makes the playoff every, playoffs every year. Uh, that's just stupid. And more importantly, those teams have a ton of money. Despite the fact they haven't been to Memorial Day, they're still – I, they're getting all the TV. They're uh, all the uh, in. Mar- they're getting on TV a lot. They're getting before you know. They're they're making money for their schools, uh, and I believe Syracuse. I forget who said it. Might have been Peacock said something about Syracuse has a bigger budget than any other team. So it's it's one of those deals where no, the coaches should not be fired because uh, they haven't made it to Memorial Day weekend. But I get it. And yes, I think that the coaching changes would actually have a positive effect initially. Um, but you know, eventually people aren't, aren't going to be as excited about Tiffany and in, in, in uh, Virginia, eventually people aren't going to be as excited about Donowski or Donowski is going to retire, uh, at Duke. So I think that that's how you'll see, uh, the, the power shift a little bit and teams like Hopkins, Syracuse have a resurgence, you know, another team that I hope has another resurgence like a Cornell, uh, somebody like that. Um, I think that you're going to see some teams out West though, start doing really well also because from a recruiting perspective if they start kind of cornering the market in their corner of the country I think teams like Utah could step up I think teams like Denver as lacrosse picks up more out Denver is good every year but I'm you know Denver is one of those teams also that uh, don't ever count them out you know they're they're just a a one or two really good recruits away from uh, you know getting themselves back to Memorial Day weekend as well so yes Syracuse and Hopkins fans 
we're babies. I understand it, but uh, I also I get I get why we're big babies. But I agree, we should all chill out a little bit and uh, and be cool, be cool, man. So that is this episode. I don't know how long I just rambled for. I barely had anything prepared, and it kind of just ripped through it. So uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so that you are notified when we put out more videos. If you want to support us beyond that, you can go to laxfactor.com and uh, get yourself swag, t-shirts, coffee cups, shorts, all that good crap. But more importantly, just share the video and all that good stuff. And as always, thank you for watching. And we will do the remaining conferences. I forget what conferences. I know I got to do the Colonial still. Um, uh, so there's a couple other uh, America East I think we still got to do, or maybe I did the America East. I can't even remember already what I just did. So I'll do the remaining conferences uh, next week. I will also do another midfield unit next week, and I will also be answering more questions next week. Thank you for watching. Hoost is out.